Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Siren Murr, and I am here to start the positivity pop-up for Sunday, July 2nd. Sorry, I'm going to try not to make silly noises with my mouth. Um, <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending your time with us. It's Sunday, July 2nd. Today is, amongst other things, Build a Scarecrow Day. Um, it is also Made in the USA Day, <laughs> which is ironic. We'll talk about that later. Um, I Forgot Day, which is probably my motto in life. I, I forget everything. And Freedom from Fear of Public Speaking Day. So that one sounds like it's made for me. Yes, it does, Jess. That was exactly who I was looking for. Okay. <laughs> so how was your week, Jess? I like it. <laughs> well, um, it was, I... It was long, but um, uh, next week is a short week, so I'm pretty excited about that. How was your Nice. Week? It was really great, except I missed you girls. Um, if you are a listener, regular listener of Siren Soapbox, you may have noticed that we did not release an episode this week. We're taking a little bit of a break. We've got a lot of things going on for the summer, so we're just kind of slowing down before we ramp back up for the fall. So um, I missed you girls this week because we didn't get to record together. So I'm really excited that you're joining us. And Sarah is also here, but she's not talking because she's probably got a blow dryer or something going. <laughs> Almost, but not quite. But I will soon. But I am here listening. <laughs> so to overcome your fear of public speaking, I've got some advice for you guys. You can practice speaking with your friends. Maybe start a podcast like we did or join us a speaking club like Toastmasters. I just challenged all the sirens to interview somebody about something positive so that we can play um, a little snippet of it here on the positivity pop-up. So look forward to that coming up, friends. Oh, oh, Mark, the architect, he's listening. And he just sent us a notification, girls, Thursday, July 6th. It's International Kissing Day, as in smooch, smooch, kiss, kiss. Well, I'm putting that one in my calendar for sure. Heck yeah, I'll be celebrating that. Mark, get your lips ready, buddy. Get all the chapstick ready. <laughs> so this, I, again, thanks for joining our Positivity Pop-Up. While I was looking for stories this week, I came across a blog that was, um, <laughs> I came across a blog written by a gentleman named Rutger Vorhaven. Um, he's from smartocto.com. And the name of his blog post was Why Positive News Should Have Your Attention. So they, Smart Octo is an or editorial company that helps with media production. And when he was out on a walk with his dog boss one day, Rutger came across a happy rock, which got him thinking, are positive news stories more popular than negative news stories? And so he did a little bit of research. Um, it does seem that positive news stories are a needed distraction and may even act as sort of a pressure valve for our brains. So he did some research on the four, on four of their brands that they support and found that page views, comments, and likes were all higher on positive news stories than negative. However, 
negative news stories appear to be shared more often. So my challenge to all of you is to share this podcast, today's positivity pop-up, with at least one person you know, you know, and you love, and you know could use some uplifting in their lives. So let's, let's spread more positive than negative, friends. I like it. All right. All, you know, like that story, <laughs> that story or that research was inspired by a happy rock that he found while he was out walking. And July 3rd is International Drop a Rock Day. So I think we should all paint a rock or two and drop them along our walk to work or something tomorrow. Um, also, July 3rd kicks off National Transplant Week here in the U.S. Check out our positivity pop-up from May 28th, where we feature a story about a woman whose dog found her kidney donor for her while they were on a picnic at the beach. All right. You girls ready? I got three stories for us about our oceans. The first story is titled The Cascading Effects of Bringing Back Sea Otters. And it's an article written by Michaela Haas from the website Reasons to be Cheerful. So I don't, I did not know this. Jess, I know that you've worked um, with animals a little more closely over your career than I have, but otters, they have something like over 1 million hairs per square inch of their pelts. So by comparison, like humans have less than 100,000 hairs on their whole head, even, even fewer if you're right, if you're Mark. Am I right, Mark? <laughs> I did feel like a cheap shot. I love you, buddy. Um, but all right. So that is it, so thick and it's amazingly soft. And unfortunately, those super soft, warm pelts were the uh, reason that sea otters were hunted to near extinction about 100 years ago. Their pelts were used for coats and things like that. Um, but since then, the Monterey Bay Aquarium and some other organizations, they're, they're trying to fix that issue. So both the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and Alaka Alliance, which is an Oregon nonprofit named after the Chinook term for otter, they recently finished a feasibility study um, showing that it is not only possible to restore otters to their historic habitat, but that it would also yield enormous benefits, as well as some unique challenges, of course. But the Jane Bakiri, she's the executive director of the Alaka, Alaka Alliance. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time saying that. <laughs> she says that sea otters are a really critical part of our coastal environment. Bringing back sea otters means making the coast more resilient. So here's the deal. The sea otter's favorite food, which they eat incessantly, is the sea urchin. And the sea urchin is just, well, since the sea otter, sea otter population has um, dwindled so much, the sea urchin population has basically exploded. And they are just like mowing down these kelp forests. Kelp 
like 95% of kelp forests in Northern California have disappeared since 2012. So that's only 11 years. 95% of them are gone. Man, I knew that they ate and, a lot, but that's crazy. Yeah. So I, I had no idea that sea urchins were that destructive, I guess. But, oh my gosh, this article, I'll put a link to the article in the description. They have a picture of a little sea otter eating a sea urchin, and it's the cutest thing you'll ever see in your life. Um, but kelp forests, they're not only crucial to the health of the marine ecosystem, and they also provide vital habitat for fish, but they are incredibly important for controlling global warming as they naturally sequester carbon. Excuse me. Matt Simon recently reported in Wired that if a kelp forest grows well and half the carbon it absorbs is sequestered in the deep sea, it'd be the equivalent of canceling the emissions from 5 million automobiles. So that means that an army of sea otters would just immediately help fight climate change and likely improve water quality. And it does seem that that's exactly what's happening in areas where scientists have successfully been able to reintroduce otters to the ecosystem. There's an area in Monterey Bay. It's called Elkhorn Slough. Slough. It's a seven-mile-long tidal slough, and it's an, an, and an estuary, like I said, in Monterey Bay, California. And it's one area where otters have fully recovered. Dozen of sea, dozens of sea otters in this, in this article, you can see them. They're, they have pictures of them. They're just floating across the surface of the water, some holding their babies. Um, Tim Tinker, who is a lead author for the Oregon Feasibility Study, said, we've seen a massive increase in seagrass abundance here that we attribute directly to otter recovery. He also observed that reduced erosion and a significant effect on in invasive green crabs. He says otter reintroduction has all these cascading effects that we are learning in real time. We hadn't anticipated this before. So one of the challenges they face is that female otters, like male otter otters, they'll like kind of run all over the place. But female otters, they tend to want to hunker down in sort of one place. And if they if they try to move them out of that sort of home zone, they will try real hard to get back. And there have been some reports of, of like large amounts of them even drowning, trying to get back to where they came from, which is really sad. But the, the folks that um, are doing this repopulation, they've learned a lot. And they've they said that they're not doing things like that anymore. They're trying to be, you know, better about keeping them in their same places if they don't lose otters like they had in the past. But Elkhorn Slough, that's where the Monterey Aquarium currently releases many of its rescued and rehabilitated sea otter orphans. They have one little sea otter. Her name is Rosa. She They rescued her as a pup. Um, she's sort of the aquarium surrogate sea otter mom, and she's deemed unreleasable. So if an otter isn't doing so well on its own, scientists will recapture it just like they did with Rosa and they'll bring it back. She can help take care of it and nurture it back to health. She teaches them how to be a little sea otter. And it's the cutest little thing. So there we go. Um, the sea otter, by the way, side note, is my favorite zoo animal. Jess, what's your favorite zoo animal? Hmm. I like elephants. I worked with them for a while, so I don't know. They kind of hold a special place, but 
I would just like to say that I wish I could make that much of a difference on climate change just by eating. Oh, girl, you are not kidding. <laughs> I feel like everything I eat, like, significantly contributes to glo global warming as opposed to having a positive effect. So I don't know. Go, go, go otters. Let's be more otter-like. <laughs> Apparently sea urchin makes good sushi. I don't know. Hmm. I've also heard it's hmm. so I don't know about that. Well, I do like sushi. I've never had sea urchin, but I guess it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot, especially if they're invasive. All right. I learned on to our next story. I learned in an article by the Good News Network that the company Four Ocean has now recovered 30 million pounds of plastic from our oceans, rivers, and coastlines since the company began in 2017. So I don't know if if everyone is familiar with Four Ocean, but they make these little bracelets. I think this is the company. Oh my gosh. Jess, you're familiar with Four Ocean, right? Yep. They make um, bracelets that have like little plastic beads on them, right? Yeah. Elsie got me one for my birthday a few years ago. Yes. So these little bracelets, they look like little friendship bracelets. They have little beads on them. And the beads are made of plastics that were, of course, recovered from all these waterways. So the Four Ocean is a public benefit B Corp. They're based out of Boca Raton, Florida. And they, again, they make these, they sell these bracelets that they've made from the plastic they've collected. And they employ 185 crew members of the USA, Indonesia, and Guatemala. And all of those employees are local, like they get to work in their the areas where they're from. Um, and then the bracelets are handmade by artisans in either Bali or Guatemala. Alex Scholze, he's the Four Ocean CEO and co-founder, had this to say about their monumental achievement. He says, Four Ocean is incredibly proud to have accomplished this record-setting feat. We've built an entire business for the sole purpose of cleaning the ocean. With hundreds of local captains and crew members recovering trash from our oceans and coastlines seven days a week, and the support of millions of people doing their part to prevent plastic pollution, I'm sure our work will have a lasting impact on the ocean. So this announcement was made after Four Oceans uh, Trash Tracker. Trash Tracker is a propri proprietary database um, that's used to document the company's recovered materials through their entire supply chain. And it was recently independently audited and verified by Green Circle Certified, which is an internationally recognized third party that tests sus sustainability claims. So most of Four Ocean's cleanup expenses are paid for by bracelet sales. But in 2021, they announced a new corporate partnership which works with corporations to help reduce waste as well. Their most recent partnership um, was announced on World Oceans Day, which happened on June 8th. Uh, it's a new partnership with Corona, and it will move collection efforts upstream into highly polluted rivers, just like the Rio Motagua in Guatemala. Most of the I'm sorry, that I'm sorry, I read this wrong, but it's one of the most polluted rivers in Central America, the, the Montagua River. It accounts for like 2% of all the plastic waste entering 
all of our oceans each year, which is, seems pretty significant for one little waterway. So the five-year project is called A River of Change from Corona by Four Ocean, and it will help restore natural ecosystems and biodiversity, create full-time living wage jobs for people who are directly impacted by pl plastic pollution in the river and surrounding areas, and build infrastructures for lasting change. Alex Schulze goes on to say in the same announcement that when they say a small group of dedicated people can change the world, believe them. Reaching 30 million pounds of plastic and trash removed from the oceans is just the first step. We still have a lot of work to do. So thank you, Alex Schulze and Four Ocean, for making the oceans a cleaner place. Just a cleaner place. I do love those <laughs> bracelets too. They are, and you know, I see them advertised on Facebook quite a bit, and they look really neat. Yeah, they are. They're really pretty, and of course, they're like um, saving the world. So they've also branched out to a bunch of other products that they make from the plastic too, and like the beads are their original go-to, but man they have a lot of cute stuff and i wish that i had all the money so i could buy all <laughs> yeah same well you would be supporting a great cause if you do all right our next story you guys this next story is about octopuses and i just love octopuses they're my favorite sea animal but scientists have recently learned that they oct that they cycle through two stages of sleep similar to humans. They have a quiet stage and they have an active stage that resemble REM sleep in animals. So while all animals, even jellyfish and fruit flies, sleep, it was thought that only animals that have vertebrae were able to have sleep cycles, like active sleep cycles. During this, or I'm sorry, mammals, but only vertebrae they thought uh, were able, capable of dreaming. But during this study, it was observed that about once per hour and lasting for about a minute, this is in, you know, during their sleeps, octopuses' eyes and arms twitch, their breathing rate increases, and their skin cycles through many vibrant colors, leading scientists to think that octopuses may not only be having an active sleep, but that they might be dreaming. Researchers from the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology in Japan, along with colleagues from the University of Washington in the U.S., meticulously examined the brain activity and skin patterning in octopuses during that active period of sleep. And what they found was that during that stage, the octopus's brain activity very closely resembled their brain activity while awake, just like REM sleep does in humans. So scientists, therefore, are theorizing that octopuses are practicing maybe their camouflage skills or reliving and learning from waking experiences like hunting or hiding from predators, which is something that um, reactivates the skin coloring. So Dr. Linoy Meshulam who was part of this study, says the fact that two-stage sleep has independently evolved in distantly related creatures like octopuses, which have large but completely different brain structures from vertebrates, suggests that possessing an active, wake-like stage may be a general feature of complex cognition. That's pretty exciting stuff to learn. Uh, what does this mean to science? You can extrapolate that it means when sleeping and indeed dreaming, 
was selected for both humans and octopuses independent of the fact that their evolutionary paths were um, diverged like millions and millions of years ago. So I think that that leads us to believe that, uh, that sleep and potentially dreaming is one of the most fundamental needs of life, friends. That's freaking adorable. Isn't that adorable? I mean, obviously, that led me to wonder, um, why, Jess, why did the octopus blush? Oh, I don't know why. Because she saw the ocean's bottom. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what did, or what do you call a flying octopus? I don't know. An octocopter. What happens when an octopus is in the toilet? In the toilet, I almost said toilet, like my grandpa used to say. <laughs> uh, it it's to- octopied. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, okay, okay. All right. Did you hear about the octopus couple? No. What they got? They got calamaried. Calamaried. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, again. <laughs> all right, all right, here's the last joke. Here's the last joke. Why was the octopus dangerous? It's because it was well armed. <laughs> it was going to be something with the arms. <laughs> Oh, and thank you for putting up with this week's round of corny jokes. <laughs> and before we leave you for the week, I just want to remind you that the 4th of July is uh, Alice in Wonderland Day. <laughs> but it is also Independence Day here in the United States. And we do have some fun facts for you about Independence Day. All right. Are you girls ready? So ready. Ready. We have had three presidents die on July 4th, and two of them died on the exact same day in the exact same year. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died in 1826, and James Monroe died in 1831 on the 4th of July. Um, Cal- oh, I don't know. <laughs> so Calvin Coolidge was born on July 4th. 1872, putting him in the history books forever. Do you guys just want to guess how many pounds of fireworks Americans light off each year for 4th of July? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure my island is responsible for at least a quarter of it. (laughs) Well, I will tell you, it is about 200 million pounds of fireworks. And Back to the beginning of the show where, you know, today is Made in America Day. Most of our fireworks are imported from China. Like $247 million worth, according to this article. We're, uh, we're out in California right now and uh, no fireworks allowed. 
I think it's banned out there, right? Like the whole state. I so, I mean, you could set the entire state on fire. So I totally get it. I was in Indiana at my cousin's yesterday and it's the exact opposite. It is like firework country out there. <laughs> like, like mandatory out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our, for our next fact, 65% of Americans own an American flag. Um, I might get hate mail for this, but I am not one of them. I do not have an American flag. Maybe I should. Does anybody want to guess? Does anybody want to guess where um, most American flags are made? China. China. (laughs) (laughs) So our national bird was almost a turkey. Benjamin Franklin really wanted it to happen. He said that the bald eagle is a bird of bad moral character and the turkey is a more respectable bird. So there you go. I am curious about how he came to that conclusion. (laughs) I know. He must have had a close relationship with a turkey. And a bald eagle for an enemy is what it sounds like. (laughs) The first week of July is typically the busiest travel week in the United States. The busiest travel week of the year, excuse me, in the United States. And the Philippines, ironically, they have a 4th of July celebration as well. They celebrate their independence from us. On July 4th, 1946, the Treaty of Manila was signed and Philippines then, of course, was they gained their independence from the United States. There are four presidents on Mount Rushmore. Jess, do you know or sorry, I don't know if you're blow drying your hair yet or not, but do you know who those four presidents are? I know one of them's Lincoln and and I think one of the Roosevelt's is on there, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's true. It is. I bet Sarah knows this because she's a, a recent, she just recently got her citizenship and it's probably on the test. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if it is or not. But those four. On the test. I wish those, I had studied uh, that very topic because I could rattle it off. But I know Bill can. Well, I have it right in front of me, so I can. I would not have known this before today. But <laughs> it's Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, and Roosevelt. Nice job. That's exactly right. Woo-hoo. Good job, Bill. I was, um, I was there let's... a couple of years back with Jeff, um, my youngest son, and it's it's a pretty cool site if you get to see it. Yeah, that's on my list of things to see. It. I just saw pictures. I've seen pictures of it, of course, and it looks pretty amazing. So I would love to see that in person. And very near the. Washington or by very near Mount Rushmore is a, another face carved into a statue uh, or into a mountain. It's the Crazy Horse Memorial and it's just 16 miles from Mount Rushmore. And it, they say it's just as impressive. So I feel like uh, maybe if you visit one, you should visit, visit both. Does anybody want to guess? Mary, they're still working on the Crazy Horse, but it there's a, there's a, a big uh, visitor center there that you can see what it's supposed to look like when it's finished. And they've got big um, like telescopes that you can look to see how it's in progress and, and all of that. It'll be very impressive when it's done. But it's being done not with uh, tax money, but with donations. And so it's taking 
and it's much larger, so it's taking a lot longer. Yeah, that's correct. That, I'm glad you pointed that out as, as being private. That is all privately funded, that project. Um, does anybody want to guess how many hot dogs we Americans eat on the 4th of July? Way too many. Well, that's probably true. It is 150 million hot dogs. And this, my friends, is the most interesting fact that I found. It is July 2nd. Congress officially declared its independence from Britain on July 2nd, 1776. And John Adams um, assisted in the draft of the Declaration of Independence and felt that Independence Day should be celebrated on July 2nd. However... John Hancock and Charles Thompson signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, and the rest of the 56 delegates from 13 colonies didn't sign the Declaration of Independence until August 2nd, 1776, to make it official. So we declared our independence on July 2nd, and on August 2nd, it became official, but we celebrate the 4th of July. So there you go. And that's all I not got to say about that. <laughs> A classic American movie. <laughs> that's right. Well, that is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. It looks like we have a, a friend who joined us. A B D O J R 70. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, but thank you for spending your time with us. And thank you, Sarah and Jess, for listening to my hilarious octopus jokes. I appreciate you putting up with me every week. And until next time, dive in, stay curious, and be happy.